2: A week without Manchester United it does wonders for the heart and for the mind but despite the disappointing way we entered the international break I think we're all keen to watch the Reds again and it's not long now Leicester City on Saturday before Atalanta in the Champions League next Wednesday with no game to review this week we talked Jesse Lingard and United's weaknesses in defensive transitions with guest Kane Smith while Jack Tate and I discuss Newcastle's takeover United women what we want from the next month and plenty more plus there's an FPL update right at the end Welcome back to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast Series Seven, episode ten. Thank you for joining us as always. Um, Jack, you've been enjoying the international break?
1: Yeah, it's been good. The I think it's shown the the relevance and the need for the nations league. It's added some yeah. some real spice, I think, to the this international break. It's been good watching the semifinals and the finals, three really good games. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's been it's been pretty good.
2: Yeah, I think we're realising it was actually a good idea, even though. Uh, well, Timo <laughs> Courtois has been complaining about the third place playoff, which I think is fair enough. Actually, That's which is fair yeah, enough. Yeah, But in terms of the concepts of this, the semis and the the final itself, yeah, very enjoyable. That Belgium France game was was incredible. And yeah, victory for Paul Popper, Raphael Varane, and Anthony Martial, who obviously played a massive role in that. Um, Kane, you're back with us. Uh, last time you spoke to us was, was it after the Newcastle game, which was a, a pretty wonderful week, wasn't it?
0: I think it might have been just before Newcastle, maybe. I'm uh, yeah, because we were talking sure.
2: about we were talking about Ronaldo's role in the team. Yeah. What have you made of, uh, how do you reflect on uh, what you thought his role would be in the team and how it actually has panned out?
0: Yeah, it's, it's been quite um, expected that he's played through the middle. I think some people have been surprised that see he took the game off against uh, Everton. He came off, yeah, I think it's been quite expected of yeah that he's played through the centre, peeled out to that, that left-hand side to link up with players a bit. But yeah, I think um, all of his goals have been exactly what we've expected from him, really. The, the tap-ins, which people complain about, yeah. but they're what the top strikers do, and that Him and Cavani are brilliant, both of them.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, this week, uh, you're going to be talking about Jesse Lingard before some stuff on defensive transitions. Now, Lingard's away with, with England um, over these two weeks, and it, I, I don't know if it's gone... Not sure what it's gone under. I think it has gone a little bit under the radar how impactful he's been for United this season. Obviously injured for the start of the the season, which was a shame. Solskjaer said he would have played against Leeds otherwise. And I I think Lingard is kind of the reason that Dan James was allowed to be sold in a way, uh, as well as Cristiano Ronaldo, obviously. But he's scored twice, crucial goal against West Ham. Um, major mistake against young boys and then a brilliant assist for Ronaldo against Villarreal so um, what what is it that you've noticed over the last month watching Jesse Lingard
0: yeah well like you say he's he's actually been a, a big impact for us We're winning four points almost on his own um, against Villarreal and West Ham the assist for Ronaldo it wasn't uh, I'll, I'll go into a bit more detail but I don't think it was a surprise that he found um he found himself with the ball in the box after Ronaldo headed it back across because I did look at it in a bit more detail and he was on the pitch for just six minutes against Villarreal I think yeah, give or take and um, yeah, um he actually got a chance a couple minutes before Um Ronaldo was on yeah. the right hand side I think um, crossed it towards the box and Lingard actually um, made a great run across Paul, Paul, Paul Torres. Um, I spoke about it on, I, I made a thread about it on Twitter and I was just speaking about how he um, he found himself on the blind side of Torres. So obviously the defender's looking at where Ronaldo is. Lingard's quite good at finding um, little spaces in the box and make, he made a um, really good aggressive run across across the man. Obviously because he was on his blind side, Torres couldn't react quickly enough and Lingard got a half-decent shot away and I, if I recall correctly, it was a quite a good save. And it, the same happened for the goal minutes later. Um, the ball was with Fred, uh, uh, left back, he, well, uh, yeah. Yeah. Makeshift, left, left back role for him at the end of that game. Um, and the ball towards the back back post at Cristiano Ronaldo, you just saw as the ball was crossed, Jesse Lingard was in the position between those two centre-backs. Torres couldn't see where he was. And that, that was mostly the reason why Lingard could react first to... Ronaldo's header and get to that ball first ahead of Torres and ultimately set up Ronaldo for the last minute yeah. winner. But um, it's not only what he's doing in the box, but Lingard's just such an active player when he comes off the bench and he, when he starts as well. But it's it's been quite clear that um, it's helped us when he's come off the bench because I think you see him popping up in areas, helping deep in build up, and then seconds later he'll. Um, be towards the box and we saw that for his goal against West Ham because I think it was the play before his goal it was quite a similar chance he played the ball across to Matic from a right back kind of area but a back of a three and then I think it was four seconds later he was making a run beyond the West Ham back line for Matic to play um, a ball over to him it was a bit of miscommunication and Matic missed Matic missed times the pass but yeah I think it was a good example of just how active Lingard is when he when he's playing. He's just all over the pitch, whether he's on the left or the right, and it makes um yeah. it really difficult for the defenders to, well, the opposition team to track him.
2: Yeah, and that's the same sorry. with
0: his goal. I'll go for it, mate, yeah.
2: Yeah, I was just going to say, Lingard has always kind of been the embodiment of the idea that talent can get you so far in football, but ultimately there are players who are less talented, and I'm not saying Lingard isn't talented, but less talented than others, but... their work rate and their energy and their ability to find spaces does just make them better players and more impactful players and more well liked by by managers and coaches
0: yeah yeah well why was Dan James so liked by Solskjaer for so long it was I guess he's he has got good ability no one's given that but I feel like Dan James was liked by Solskjaer when he was here but for that exact reason what he said he's He's an excellent worker and he'll give 100% in every single game. You know that he'll give you that. Um, Touching back on Lingard, um, yeah, I think for his goal against West Ham, everyone focused on the wonderful finish, which it was. But it was also um, just a smart bit of movement, which I noticed, where um, it was actually um, the ball was uh, circulating on the left-hand side between um, Matic and Luke Shaw, I think. And um, Matic had the ball and Luke Shaw just peeled to the touchline. Sancho um he played to um Luke Shaw and Sancho made a move out to out um a bit wider which pulled um Kufau out a bit and that made a big a uh, bit more of space between the Kufau and uh the West Ham centre-back I forgot which one it was but um and Lingard you you see him instantly notice this and he's hovering around around that area but then when he notices that this space has been made from a good bit of movement from Sancho, Lingard instantly runs into it and you see, if you actually um, look back, you see Declan Rice point at Lingard because he's telling one of the players cut that space out, you know, because he he played with him for, for six months and he knows that he can run into those spaces and make make uh, dangerous movements and it led to Matic finding him and then of course <laughs> we can't forget about the wonderful finish which is yeah, kind of an, uh, an embodiment of how confident Lingard is at the moment and in the past Absolutely, six, yeah. seven months. Yeah, Jack,
2: I guess, I think the Lingard-Van der Beek uh, comparison is an interesting one because it almost sums up kind of the, the Solskjaer management and what Solskjaer likes in that Van der Beek is a very efficient player and is, is good at what he does. And we're not going to talk about why we signed him if he's not Solsa's kind of player, but Van der Beek's very good at what he does. Which is keeping the ball incredibly well, passing it and moving it. He's not always, the other United players aren't always on the same wavelength as him. And you've described him as a system player in the past, Jack. And Lingard is more in the Bruno Fernandes mold of tries a lot of things that don't always come off, but is, as Kane has said, just incessantly active. Do you think that is, it kind of sums it up, Jack, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, it does. And I think Lingard is actually quite well suited to this current United team for that exact reason. He gets himself into spaces that allows him to to be, I think, like a main instigator of a lot of our attacks. I, I think Van der Beek's movement is, is one of his strong points. I don't think that Lingard necessarily has better movement than Van der Beek, but Van der Beek's movements are often they're not sort of the final piece of the puzzle. You know, the spaces that van der Beek peels into is to allow him to then carry on an attack that relies on other players also making movements that kind of complement what van der Beek is doing. Whereas Lingard, I think, is better able to operate almost in a silo to some degree, And I think as most United players are doing at the moment. I think he does fit really well in, in this current team. He's obviously a very different player to Fernandez in the way that he moves and the way that I think Lingard is, you know, definitely doesn't have the, the vision or the uh, sort of boom or bust that Fernandes does. Yeah. But I think in terms of the idea that they're both attacking yeah. midfielders that are very, very heavily skewed towards end product, I think they both work in this current team, whereas I think van der Beek is skewed more towards the build-up phase, which is not something that this United team excels at.
2: Yeah, it is interesting as well, because I certainly, I don't know about you two, but I, w- I was convinced that the right decision was to sell Lingard. And I'm
1: yeah. So was I. I'm not
2: necessarily yeah, saying outrageous. we. I'm not saying we've already been proved wrong. Well, maybe we have because he scored twice and, and made a couple of assists and been very important. I don't know whether we've. We'll, we'll see at the end of the season where we've been proved wrong. Um But yeah, at, at the moment, it's looking like a good decision um for United as a. He, he just is a great sub option. And if and if he's content playing that role, and. I can see him being as long as he's playing in most games as a substitute. I can see him being content in that and and starting a few of them. I, th- I think he'll be happy. Um, he basically. Actually, just- I
1: think Gareth Southgate will probably be a big factor in whether Lingard's yeah. happy with that. He's spoken very yeah. openly that, that his main goal for the season is making it into the World Cup squad. I think if yeah. Gareth Southgate in January, you know, says. Either you play every week or you got no chance. I think we may may have a different story, but for now he seems pretty happy and he seems to be enjoying his football at United again.
2: It's possible that because I think for a lot of us, the reason we wanted him to be sold was not necessarily against him, but just that his value was at his all-time highest and we could reinvest that money elsewhere. If his good form continues until January and he does want to leave um, to to find first-team football every week, then his value is going to be even higher than it was in summer. And so it also would have been proved a good decision. Um, Okay, let's talk about something perhaps a little less positive um, and United's defensive transitions, which were a problem against, well, almost everyone, but in particular, (laughs) Villarreal, Everton, and probably those two in particular, Everton especially, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. I I wanted to start with the Lingard, start with the good, and then end with the bad. Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It's been a problem against quite a few teams, really. Um, and there's a, there's multiple reasons why. Because um, obviously against Leeds, start of the season, it was kind of a uh, transition f- frenzy game, but we we came out on top in that one, and I think yeah. that was that was. Probably because Fred and McTominay both had really good games, if I recall. Um, since then, I feel like there's there's um, definitely periods of time where a, a lack of delay in delaying the counter, delaying the transition. I think if you look at Pep Guardiola's sides, they'll they'll look to delay, and then if they can't, there's a tactical foul, tactical foul. And um, obviously, the glaringly obvious uh, one is Fred. Um, for Everton's goal, uh, Townsend's goal, where uh, uh, they were on the transition, and it was a uh, Gray on the left hand side, and you see Fred go in for that little battle against him, and really, you you don't you don't go against Fred in those little battles because he he did he does win them sometimes, but when when you see that uh, Gray kind of had the the beating of him, he he needs to reassess. He probably should be reassessing his thoughts and thinking right he's running towards the um the sideline I'll get goal side get my get my teammates back and then we'll get in a settled shape and I'm not sure whether it's because of um instructions or whether it's just because of Fred he's a quite a ten- tenacious player that he obviously goes in for the for the tackle misses wambasaka misses and then they're through on a really simple transition where you could either look to look to win the ball or, uh, de- or look to delay. Sorry, look to delay the player. Firstly, or if you are going to go in for that tackle and you don't win it, Fred's not on a yellow card there. Take the yellow card because it's it is strange because we've went through this with Fred and McTominay last season. I'm not sure whether it's a long, obviously um, not too much of a pre-season, but they just don't seem as um impressive in those defensive transitions I think it was also you didn't mention it was. A, I think it was also a problem against Wolves where Adama Traore obviously he's a very very difficult winger yeah. to stop but like, like I said a delay and it's um, I think there was a situation in the first five minutes where Triore's inside their half and we've got the I think it was Fred and Pogba in the pivot that, that day and both of them go in and try and tackle him and he just jumps through the middle of them and it's I think it um it might might show a bit of um the lack of the defensive midfielder that people wanted in the summer. Yeah. Maybe a bit of a defensive know-how What's, to drop into the space. It, yeah, the defensive on.
2: midfielder is is obviously a fix Well, not necessarily a fix but an improvement and gives you a better ability to fix this is a problem. But bear in mind that we have I don't know how many games until the January transfer window, which even, even in that month, it's going to be unlikely. We'll see United sign anyone. But if we were to sign someone in January, we still have probably 20 games before then, uh, yeah. maybe 15. Um, what is, what's the solution?
0: I think the solutions to, well, I don't think the solutions is the four four three three, 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 which it looks like we tried against Villarreal with a, uh, it seemed like McTominay was uh, a bit of the that, that single pivot, and Pogba had the bit more license to go forward. But I don't, I don't think that's the solution yet. I don't, I don't, I know that um, it's obviously been reported that McTominay is being uh, trying to being moulded into that kind of player. But I don't, I don't think that's his game yet. Obviously, I think the best we see of McTominay is when he's going to box, box the box almost. Um, so I don't think I don't I don't think we should try that just yet. Maybe until um, a transfer or anything. But I feel like it is it is to stick in that four two three one. Solskjaer definitely trusts Fred and McTominay as that pivot, but I feel like there needs to be more emphasis on them potentially not um, looking for that counter as much because I feel like with with the attacking players we have now, we don't need to rely on. Getting that ball back so quickly, where you're looking for that tran- that attacking transition, you can allow yourself to get into that um, defensive shape, win the ball back, and then build a steady attack rather than looking for those quick transitions. Because I feel like that's probably that, that that is the problem sometimes, especially with Fred. I feel like it's yeah. either a hit or miss because he either, he either wins the ball back in a great position because he's been so tenacious and uh, won the ball back, and then we're in we're on a we're on a good attack. Or it's the complete opposite, and he's he's completely left out of position, and uh, the other team's got quite a quite a clear way through. There's been, um, like I said, against Wolves, I can mention a few other ones, but yeah, there's been a fair few examples where that's been the case, and they've just been caught out caught out on the on yeah. from not delaying. But yeah, I don't think um, it's yeah. too easy of a fix, but hopefully, with more more controlling games a bit more um, confidence on the ball uh, because I feel like Fre- after um, a few poor games, Fred looked like his confidence was was quite down. Because I feel like going on a bit of a tangent, Fred, is, Fred for us over the past years has seemed like a bit of a confidence player where when he's in that vein of form where he's playing quite well, he's he's extremely good for us. But then obviously confidence down and it seems like he uh, gets beaten Jules too easily and et cetera. But yeah. You know. And we have we have a lot of players
2: like that. <laughs> but Jack it might be that it might be that as Jaden Sancho comes into well gets his moment as we've been talking about recently gets his goal or assists which boosts his confidence but I think he has looked good in in the last three or four games. But once Jaden Sancho finds improved form once Marcus Rashford is back as the attack gets better it may be that we can have less reliance on, not reliance, but less need to turn to Freddie McTominay to create things by making those forward runs, which sometimes are brilliant against Leeds. It was fantastic and it's good to have that in our locker. But perhaps over the next few weeks as the attack improves and the players get used to each other, maybe the midfield and the transitions will improve alongside that. Let's hope so. Jack?
1: Yeah, I think that's a, it's got to be a big part of it. I think it's also, I think part partly how we just react in those situations too. Like it strikes me, I think to what Kane is saying that so often it ends up with Fred and or McTominay sort of going into a duel, and then if they get beat, it, it, we're then exposed, and it's exactly what happened for Everton's goal in the the last game. Fred gets beat by Gray, and they beat one man, and suddenly you know it's a, a three on two, and they're they're basically in on goal. I think there's an argument to say that. I think what you're saying, Kane, about sort of this delayed response is that the immediate the response to us losing position needs to be quicker. But I think it also needs to be more controlled. In that, I think instead of the response always being from Fred, in particular, win the ball back immediately, and he he's always going into a duel, which is necessarily a very sort of high risk thing to do. Maybe it's better actually actually to just try and say I'm not going to win the ball back, but just contain, slow down the counter attack, let the other players get back. Because especially with our fullbacks playing so high up the pitch. If an if an opposition team can beat Fred or McTominay in midfield, suddenly they're one-on-one against either Maguire or Varane or Lindelof, whoever's playing on, on any given day. I think that's what leaves us so open, is that I think we need to be more content. If we are going to push players so far forward, either with doing more tactical fouls like Man City have become so good at, or it's simply just having the immediate response be contain, contain, slow down the attack rather than having to win the ball back immediately. Because that just, just creates risks if you lose out, out on that duel.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, let's move on to one of our questions from one of our patrons. Uh, normally these questions are in a bonus Q&A at the end of the show, but as it's the international break, we thought we'd answer them here. We've got one from Dave Shevlin, which Kane, you might be able to... Speak a bit on. He says, what's the best way of using Pogba now with our current squad, with our full strength available? Rashford returning, still lacking a top central defence midfielder to play beside Pogba. Is Matic the only combination with him that works? Um, you mentioned the Wolves game with, I think, was it Pogba and Fred in that game or was it Pogba and Matic? But it was certainly getting bypassed in there. we we've, we've obviously seen a two man midfield, including Paul Pogba get bypassed very easily, far too often. Is there? He's been good on the left, but we haven't got space for him necessarily there all the time. What is? It's obviously a, a tricky. It's a great hand to be dealt, but also tricky. Um,
0: is there hope for him in a two-man midfield? I, I definitely think there's hope. Yeah, um, we've seen Pogba play play great in the two-man midfield, but then over the past. Eight eight to twelve months, we've seen him play very well on that left hand side as well. So it is it is a dilemma, which um, he'll probably not get as much time out there when you think Jaden Sancho's uh, will cut will uh, grow into form. Rashford on on his way back, like you said, um, yeah, he'll probably not get as much time out there. I'd personally like to see him play there. In some matches, maybe in a, in a few, depending on a uh, form, etc. But that is where I've seen his best form. I personally do like him when he's when he's um in more advanced areas, as as almost like a second attacking midfielder, basically when he plays there. Um, but like you said, um, it will probably be deeper positions for Pogba in this throughout the um season. I, I think he can it, it, he can work make it work. I think him along, him alongside McTominay, I can imagine um, being something that we see quite, quite a bit, and it can, it, it will get bypassed. I feel like it will get bypassed at times, but I think you've got to pick and choose your games, and if you're playing, left um, Burnley at Old Trafford, apologies to Burnley, but we're gonna have the the uh, majority of possession in, in games like that. And I feel, think that those are the games where you'll see the best of Pogba when he's got the options ahead of him in Sancho, Rashford, Greenwood, Ronaldo, Cavani. can go on. But um, yeah, I feel like yeah. the, these are the games where we know what we'll, what we'll probably be getting from Pogba in a lot of those kind of games. But it'll be interesting to see how he'll, how, how, if, if he'll play in the, uh, pivot in maybe the more intense games. And if he does, how he will deal with it because we, his defending is, um, inconsistent. Because sometimes I think that he defends really well. He's obviously very strong, um, can read, read the play quite well. But then sometimes, obviously, you get these, um, defensive laps which, um, create mistakes, which we've seen in previous seasons. But yeah it's definitely um definitely yeah. going to be an option in in the pivots going forward
2: jack it's those defensive mistakes that are over committing or i mean he just sometimes he'll he'll put in a great tackle because he's got those long legs which give him the yeah. ability to do so, but other times he has a a pretty remarkable ability inability to defend given he's a a great player in every other regard, Jack. I mean, there's not really an explanation for it, but do you, can you see a future for him in in the two man role?
1: I can. I think he's too, he's too good a player not to be able to to play there, and we've seen some of his great performances for United in the past happen there. I, I think it is a case, though, of you know building a. I think I saw Kane saying building a better sort of way of dealing with those defensive transitions because we know that that isn't Pogba's strength. I think we saw it, it was Pogba and Fred against Wolves and that Adama Traore run that Kane mentioned has stuck in my mind for a while when Adama picks up the ball between Pogba and Fred and just basically just manoeuvres the ball a tiny bit and goes right in between the two of them. And, you know, neither Pogba nor Fred had sort of the wherewithal to make that sort of tactical foul in that situation that would have been really useful. I think Pogba's defensive capabilities or lack thereof are, are a concern. They have to be if he plays in a two. I mean, there's that statistic that Pogba has I think at one point hadn't he given away our last four penalties, at old Trafford or something, something like that. <laughs> you know, his his defensive limitations are are genuinely clear. And I think if he plays in a two man midfield, he has to we have to have some sort of caution, I think, around that defensive um sort of part of his game but we've seen him thrive there before i think we just have to pick and choose when he plays there you know he he can't play there and i think this has been something that we've recognised for a couple of years now he can't play there against the likes of you know man city or liverpool but against teams that are going to sit back a lot more and not only teams that don't that are going to sit back more but also teams that won't hit us with that kind of pace on the counter attack pogba can play there and can thrive there and we've seen it before it just has to be i think a lot more thought prior thought go into it rather than it just being our default mo
2: yeah The sound of your dog begging for attention is making me miss mine.
1: Um, (laughs) Yeah, sorry um, about
2: that. (laughs) It's probably all right. Just making me miss mine. Um, Cave, thank you for coming on again. And thank you for your insight into Jesse and defensive transitions and Paul Pogba. Um, We'll speak to you in a month or so about what uh, I guess the fixtures and the performances will dictate. But thank you for coming on. Thanks,
0: guys. Hopefully, hopefully good stuff. Yeah.
2: Hopefully, if you want Cheers. to read um, more of Kane's work, he's on Twitter at Mu. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. All right. Nice one. Speak to you in a bit,
0: mate. Cheers. Cheers, Kane. Cheers, guys. Okay,
2: let's move on to a couple more patron questions. Another from Dave who says, have you been watching much of Ethan Laird this year? Do you think he'll be good enough to be brought in next year and move Diogo Dalawan? It's an interesting one. I haven't watched a huge amount of Laird this year. Partly because United have so often been the Saturday game that it's quite hard to watch uh, their championship games with our, our lonely players. And partly just because I haven't felt uh, a burning desire to watch Swansea City too much. Whether he can come in and replace Dallow? I think so. Probably. Dallow and Laird, how similar are they? Um, the only concern I have for Laird is uh, at MK Dons, he played in a back five. I mean, it was more of a back three and he was at wing back. It was, it was quite an attacking role. He's then followed Russell Martin, who was his manager at MK Dons, to Swansea City and is playing in, in the same kind of role, which is great for his attacking ability. But I think everyone all, always knew that Led was a brilliant attacking fullback. Um, he loves to get to the byline and, and cut it back and he's brilliant at doing that. He uh, He's kind of the opposite to Shaw and maybe that... If he could have that role in United's team, maybe it would give United a decent balance because Laird loves getting to the byline, Shaw loves crossing from deep. Um, but the concern is that he's not got enough. It would be nice if he could play in a back four as he's going to play at United and that would help improve the defensive side of his game. How much he has improved on that, I don't know. I haven't watched him so far this season, but it would be brilliant if he could come back next year. Whether we move Dallo on, um, uh, uh, probably. we probably move him on. Uh, If Laird is good enough to come back, we definitely move Dallo on. If not, I think we'll probably end up keeping him around unless the Kieran-Trippier links begin again, Jack.
1: Yeah, I think that, to be honest, I think there's a good chance that both Dallo and Laird will be around next season. Just, just because I think Solskjaer may be hesitant to to have just Laird as sort of backup there. I guess it also somewhat depends on Brandon Williams as well, and if he comes back to United uh, and you know is is actually going to stay because he's obviously on loan at Norwich currently. But I, I think we probably see more of a future for Ethan Laird than Brandon Williams at this point. Yeah. So I think if Williams move on, moves on, then potentially Darlo and Laird can come in. But I definitely think I would expect Laird to get his opportunity. In the first team next year, I think, you know, he's proven himself in the, in the uh, youth teams. He's now out at Swansea, which is a pretty decent level. I think we've seen a lot of players, you know, have some really good loan spells in the championship and make it, you know, it be really good, useful experience for them. So I would expect him to come in and get some opportunities next year, pretty much regardless of what, of what Darlow does. Yeah, it's, yeah. I think Darla also useful because he has experience playing at left back too. You know, oh, you yeah, gonna I was going to uh, say, when was, was it Villarreal when he switched to left back?
2: Yeah. Um, it does make for, yeah, it, it is pretty, it has been useful already this season having that. Um, although I guess that was kind of because Tellers was injured for a bit. But
1: yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah it it has wasn't been Villarreal useful. when
1: he went to left back, was it? Tellers played. What, what game was it? Was it Everton or Villa when he went to left he, back? I can't, even, can't remember. Can't remember. Whenever Shaw gained it, was it Villa, I think?
2: Uh, Everton he. Everton is the one where Shaw went off ill I think or was that Villa? I can't remember anyway um, we've not got too much time left so we won't spend too long dwelling on that uh, mismemory. memory um, final question patron question is from our man who says will Newcastle win a Premier League title before us? Uh, my answer is no
1: great question
2: <laughs> <laughs> um, before we move on to the moral implications of that I think, I mean, you only have to look at City for evidence of how hard it is to actually turn money into success. Um, they've managed it, but they've it, it, they brought in very good football people to do it. It took them a few years, um, I, I, a number of years, and a number of failed signings, a number of failed managers. It takes time. And the idea that Newcastle could go on a buying spree in January and then win the league is absolutely farcical. Or even the idea that they'll get into the top four of the season is ridiculous. It's not going to happen. Um, and, and actually, but in terms I think it's it's,
1: potentially a better comparison than City is, is potentially Everton, actually, in the more recent times. Yeah. you came in, got an owner, uh, admittedly not as wealthy as, as what Newcastle now have. But, you yeah, know, are trying are to do a similar a, a thing at a different in, level. Exa- a different level and also different challenge with financial fair play. I know it's, FFP is not sort of the stringent rules that we all imagined when it first came in, but it does still limit you And there are now stricter rules around inflating sponsorship. So I don't think it would just be a case of, you know, having a a PIF, Saudi Arabia owned companies on Newcastle shirts, paying them, you know, a billion pounds a year for the sponsorship rights that Newcastle can then claim as revenue. There are stricter rules around that. Everton have sort of found that. And if it ends up being, I think what Man Man City had to their advantage was that they could, they could make, when they first got these new owners four, five, six big signings every single transfer window and so even if you only hit on maybe 25% of those you're still getting two players every year that are going to come in and be very good contributors for you but I think what you've seen with Everton is that they and then this year they really didn't spend any money but even before they could really make like one big big money signing every window and then you're running the risk of it not working out. And if that player doesn't work out, then you've sort of stood still over the, the transfer window. So I think Newcastle yeah. will find it tough. I, I don't expect them to be challenging for the Champions League spots for at least three or four years. Yeah,
2: they, I, I, I can see it in two years. If, if they do it right, they can do it quickly. Um, because they have a couple of talented players already in the team. They've got a massive support, a big stadium, so they can ge- they can generate a lot of money and if they can sign a couple of big names, they can generate a lot more in, in genuine sponsorships rather than state funded ones and in, in shirt sales and whatever, and marketing. Um, so it is possible, but I think, they'll, I they'll, think in
1: a couple of years, they'll, they'll be in that sort of Leicester Spurs Arsenal range where they are now. Right, and that's yeah. sort of Europa League, League yeah. but I, I, at least, I mean, obviously things can change very quickly. But at least for now, that top four looks pretty separated from the rest of the, the Premier yeah. League in terms of quality.
2: Yeah. Um, I wish we had longer to talk about the other part of the deal. Um, we don't, but quickly, it's. I remember being asked about it in 2019, I think, when there was reports going around. It was before United-Liverpool in October 2019, I think, and reports were going around that Saudi Arabia and PIF were interested in buying Manchester United. And at the time I thought, I don't think I'd go back to Old Trafford if if that were the case. Um, and I, I think I still maintain that position. On the other hand, as we've said for a few different issues in the past, I don't think it's, it, it isn't football fans' responsibility to, football fans shouldn't be held accountable for this. Newcastle fans shouldn't be held accountable for Saudi Arabia buying their club. Uh, it, it's Especially responsibility when they're still of, being
1: kept out of the process of actually having a say in how their club is run. If you want fans to have some yeah. responsibility in this, then give them a stake in the club.
2: Yeah, it's the responsibility of the Premier League and the FA and the government. And they have shirked that responsibility in a massive way and chased the money again for... Well, it it, it might it, it means another good Premier League team, and then some might argue that's for the benefit of football. But I I don't think that outweighs the negatives. It, it's to the detriment of football that uh, uh, even more than before. And this isn't the first time, and it shouldn't be seen. I don't think this should be seen as a turning point because it's happened before. We've got Qatar at, at PSG, and we've yeah. got. Abu Dhabi with City, but it's another step towards the only people being able to buy and succeed in football being nation states, and that is a a horrendous situation to be in, and is 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 a massive failure of the last twenty five years of of football governance. I,
1: I think the foot in, on the governance part, I think something that's sort of flown a bit under the radar here is that. For all of the media coverage of, you know, the criticism of the Saudi led takeover being, you know, treatment of women treatment, especially of the LGBT plus community. That actually was never the reason the premier league was, uh, stopping and delaying this takeover over from happening. Yeah. This takeover was only delayed from the premier league side because Saudi Arabia had banned Qatari owned B in sports from, from broadcasting there. And once that issue was resolved, then the takeover was allowed to happen. So, you know, the, the media has whipped up that storyline, but actually, for the Premier League, that was never even on the on the at least publicly not even on on the horizon, on the sort of on the docket for discussion, which I think is disgusting, frankly. And I think second, you're right that you know we are moving to a point in football where it does seem like nations are really the only ones that are able to afford to to buy a, a football team at this point, because I think most people acknowledge that owning a football club isn't going to make you very much money. And even if it does, it's certainly not the most financially worthy investment that you can make. And so it takes either someone like Daniel Ek, who is the Spotify owner has been rumoured to want to buy Arsenal, who is willing to throw a lot of money at something purely for the love of doing it or someone or an organisation, a country that has something to gain from it. And in this case, it's all about, you know, cleaning up that image. Sport washing is sort of been, use a lot this week and I think this is a perfect example of it you know trying to clean up an image of a nation sort of hiding behind potential success of Newcastle United to be a distraction from what's going on in Saudi Arabia and it's it's not just these owners I, I also want to point that out you know they get more attention because they are a country but you know let's not pretend that a lot of the individuals that own Premier League teams like the Glazer family like the John Henry at Liverpool you know, like Roman Abramovich at Chelsea, their their money is also tied up in places that I don't think we like to, to admit. And I think we, we sort of gloss over that because they aren't a country, but there's all sorts of of links from all of those families having money in really, really awful places and funding organizations that, you know, we, we would never claim to support. So it's not just this. And so I don't, I, I think it, I don't think it's right to blame Newcastle fans. I think, to be perfectly honest, I think it's completely understandable why so many fans are jubilant about this because they've had a, a torrid time of it, and it, as you said, Harry, it's not no, their I, responsibility I, Quite frankly, I get
2: them being, this. I get them being jubilant about Ashley leaving, but for the, I, I don't think it's a majority, but for the pretty sizable minority of people who have already been convicted, like the, the sports washing has already worked. It's it's done. Um,
1: Right. But if, was, I, I think my point is that, if, especially when they're coming in, not only promising investments in the football team, but investments in the area too, when you've been left behind for this long in an area that has been, you know, falling behind the rest of the country for, you know, 20, 30 years at this point, you, you become you become basically willing to accept money wherever it's going to come from, I think. And I, I just, I yeah. think it's understandable why you would be happy about that, regardless of where it's coming from, because when you go through sort of the right processes, you, you get nothing.
2: Yeah. No, I, I, I understand it, but I, I don't agree with, it. I, partic- I I, I understand people being happy about what's going to happen to their football club on the pitch, but the people celebrating with Saudi Arabian flags and praising PIF yeah, yeah. and the Saudi Arabian and calling them his excellency and whatever, it's, it's no, just <laughs> that, that, that's not the way forward. You can yeah. very much celebrate Mike Ashley leaving and, A new future for your club, but also retain some perspective. This idea that Newcastle fans had it harder than any others in the country is complete bollocks. They were, they've basically been a mid table Premier League side with a couple of relegations over the last 15 years and had some success, got near the top four. The idea that that's worse than Berry, Macclesfield or Oldham or even Sunderland down the road have had it far worse than Newcastle. And the idea that Newcastle have a divine right to success, again, it's just bollocks. They haven't won a Premier League. Uh, they, I mean, they've never won a Premier League. They haven't won a, a top flight title for decades and decades.
1: And Newcastle for a long time have been a club, I think, whose stature in English, in English football, I at least personally think, has been inflated purely because they have a big stadium. And, you know, they were a good side in the 90s, obviously had Alan Shearer, who you know, really yeah. put them on the map. But if you look back through their history, they're not, they're not a club. I think, you know, we're not talking about a Liverpool or a United or an Arsenal sort of falling from being a dominant team in English football to now becoming a mid-table team. Like this is most of Newcastle's history like this. So I don't think it's, you know, this isn't, yeah. they've had a bad time of it under Mike Ashley because he hasn't run the club in the, in a, in a way that I think we would be happy with, but, the results on the football pitch haven't been that out of step with what Newcastle's history has been over the last 30 or 40 years. Like you're saying, there are plenty of other places in the country, both in terms of the football team and in terms of the actual areas of what's gone on with the politics behind their sort of demise that would also be, you know, very worthy and and deserving of this sort of investment. So I understand why fans are are happy about it. I agree with you that I, I think you can be happy about that, what the end result is going to be without sort of, um what I, I don't know what the word it was out glorifying i guess the the people that are going to be doing it i think that's sort of where the difference comes but i thought the most ridiculous part that i saw of this was um the newcastle have a united with pride organization sort of a yeah. you know lgbtq yeah. plus organization a part of the football club and their statement on it i thought was just a sack of shit basically and it's just another example of it if you are it's if you a disgrace have, are it's a disgrace
2: of, of- people being bought yeah, out. Yeah,
1: exactly. And if you are an organisation that have a platform with some of the fans, you, you cannot just completely gloss over something that goes completely against everything that you stand for in exchange for some success on the pitch. It, it, you just can't do it. I think
2: the key is that you, you can support, you can, you can carry on supporting your club as many City fans have done and you can celebrate their success if it comes. But you can still use your voice as a fan to go against your owners. You don't. You can celebrate what their money leads your club to do, and still criticize the owners, as Manchester United fans do. Not at all in the same way. We criticize our owners because they're bad for our football club. Um, we don't. It's not because they have a terrible human rights record or they it, it, It's completely different. But you could support your club while criticizing people and while amplifying the voices of Saudi Arabians and. Uh, people from Yemen who have been mistreated by the Saudi Arabian government. Anyway, we better move on. I'm sure it's something we'll come back to in future. Right, let's talk... Uh, very quickly about United women, it was a Manchester derby last weekend. 2-2, entertaining game, probably two points dropped for Mark Skinner's side. City went down to 10 players in the 35th minute but then took the lead through Bonnie Shaw. United scored two in the 72nd and 75th minute to go ahead through Alicia Russo and Lucy Staniforth but then Ellen White tapped home. To make it, uh, to draw the scores level again. Two points dropped. The midfield wasn't really involved at all. Uh, that was probably the weakest part of United's game, but a decent Derby result to move on. And United, I think, are fifth in the W, possibly no, fourth in the WSL table after five games. I think I've remembered that correctly Jack before we wrap up let's very quickly talk about Leicester but also in the next tell me in 30 seconds over the next four weeks we've got loads of big games there's another international break in November before the next international break not in terms of results but in terms of what you see on the pitch what do you want to see from Manchester United
1: I want to see Jadon Sancho break his duck I want to see United keeping some clean sheets and dealing better with transitions and I want to see us figure out a partnership and a way of playing in midfield that can actually keep us playing well in attack, but not get beaten so quickly on these defensive transitions.
2: Yeah, I agree with all of that. And I want to be excited by home games because the four we had in consecutive 11 days were not exciting enough. Although we did have a brilliant last minute winner of the Champions League, which was exciting, but the rest of the <laughs> game wasn't particularly slow. Um, yeah, I agree on all that. Um, I'll, you, you put it well so I won't add my own words Leicester Saturday 3pm strange again to be playing at 3pm for what should be a decent game actually
1: yeah of all the games um, we've had recently this doesn't feel like the one that should be at 3pm yeah but
2: yeah um, the away record will it continue we all forget about the away record I think it was obviously it was kind of celebrated quite a lot when it was when we beat the record by beating Southampton and then extended it against Wolves. But I think since then, it's kind of been forgotten about, which I, I think I, it's not like...
1: Well, partly because we've barely had an away game yeah, in the last month. Yeah.
2: It's also because like you don't you don't want to talk about it all the time, and it actually it doesn't matter too much, but it is still a significant achievement. Leicester, a couple of injuries, um, and very much out of form. We've got to win this, and we have to win it well. And I don't think we can have any excuses for not winning it either. Although they're a good team, but they're out of form. We've got to go and win it.
1: Yeah, we have got to go and win it. Um, I mean, I feel like our, our matches against Leicester are always just incredibly tight. I, I think we've seen in the past couple of years, I think us and Leicester have been so closely matched in previous seasons. I think that just isn't the case now. You know, this team has has gone very clearly forward another couple of steps. And I think Leicester have very clearly gone backwards a couple of steps. But I also think that, especially with Vardy still playing very well, regardless of Leicester's bad form, they are still set up to cause us some issues. And I, I I can just imagine a Vardy sort of hammer blow at some point in this game.
2: Yeah, there'll be no Fred or Cavani, I don't think, because Brazil play Uruguay in the early hours, English time, in the early hours of Friday morning. And obviously we play on Saturday. So presuming they play in that, and I don't think they're going to be allowed to come back early. Even if they don't play in it, they're not going to be able to play on the Saturday for jet lag as much as as much as not playing two games in two days, which will have an impact. I expect McTominay, it could, McTominay and Matic has never seen, I mean, Fred and Matic has never worked. We haven't seen McTominay and Matic too much, but it might have to be a, a McTominay-Pogba kind of game.
1: Yeah, maybe Kane will get his wish and see those two together. I think that probably is the way that will go. I don't see Matic and McTominay starting together, to be honest. And I, I think Pogba and McTominay makes sense to start this game.
2: I say Leicester have injuries, but now you think about it, Maguire's still out. Varane could Varane be out. He down. hobbled yeah. off. Yeah, which means uh, it could be Lindelof and Baye. I don't know how fit Baye is. Otherwise, it's going to be if Varane's could be Lindelof there, and Phil Jones. I know. Yeah. For his first game since <laughs> Tranmere. And then, sure, I think we'll be fit.
1: Who else do we actually have? Is that, is that, there's actually no other centre-backs other than in the U-team because Twan Zabie's out on loan. So nah, he's actually be, it, isn't it? If someone it had to step chance. up, it'd
2: be Ted and Mengi.
1: Telen Mengi, yeah.
2: Who I think has been training with the England senior squad a couple of days over the last week. He's with the under-20s, but yeah. Um, yeah, we'll see on run. No update as of yet. Uh, and by, I'm not 100% sure. I think he, he should be fit. So it would, it would be Lindelof and by for the first time in a long time. If Maguire is out, we'll see about Varane. So yeah, we could have quite a makeshift back six, Wambasaka, Lindelof, by Shaw, McTominay, Pulper. It's still, it's still good enough. But yeah, no Cavani as well. Let's hope it's good. Um, Jack, final thing, fantasy. How's it going? Who's leading, and how are we doing?
1: Yeah, so now through what eight weeks I think of the fantasy season, Um Madison Latter is currently leading pretty comfortably. Actually, the, the league is very very tight. But Madison has a seventeen point lead over Cameron Pong in second in the I- NYC, in third, and then to round out the top five, got Ek Yegoala in fourth and Ian McLean in fifth. It then gets very very tight, Harry. You and I, I think we're d- we're doing pretty well. I'm happy with this person. So, Harry, you're in eighteenth. And I'm in 22nd. There's seven points between us, and that's out nice. of a league of 196. So, I think if you're do, if you're inside the top 50, I think you're doing really, really well. Um, and it's it's very, very tight. There's between uh, second and 50th. There's only 40 points or so. So, it's very yeah. close at the moment. Um, but yeah, we're we're doing pretty well. I'm happy with where yeah, we
2: are. I'm happy. I'm above you. That's all that matters. Um... <laughs>
1: no, I thought I was going to get you last week, but you could use <laughs> captain Salah, and you got me right at the end. Yeah, this is... I mean,
2: I only started playing fantasy last season for the first time during lockdown because I always hated it before because I hate the fact that I have to have Liverpool or City players in. <laughs> I don't have any... I have no City players, but I have a couple of Liverpool players and I just leave Salah as captain for the whole time just so I don't have to ever think about it. But it could be time for a while. this week. I'm sort of like week, that the, we'll
1: the other way. I'm, I'm like always so hesitant to captain United players because I think if it goes wrong it's going to go doubly wrong because we'll not uh, yeah, able to that's, that's get a bad result, it. but my captain also won't get any points.
2: Yeah, that's I, I captain Liverpool players to soften the blow of them winning. Because yeah. um, I know if, if Ronaldo scores, I'm going to be happy anyway. I don't need fantasy to make, it's not going to make me more happy. So I might as well just celebrate it and captain Liverpool player to soften the blow. Um, and it's going okay so far because Salah is outrageously good and incredibly annoyingly good. Um, yeah. All right. Let's wrap things up. Thank you very much for listening, everyone. For more from us throughout the week, for our reaction to the Leicester game, and uh, we'll be back after that, obviously recording next Sunday or Monday, so you'll be able to hear us Monday evening again. Uh, but for more from us throughout the week, you can find Jack on Twitter at...
1: At takes T-A-I-T.
2: You can find Kane, who was on earlier, at Kane Smith. That's C-A-I-N, Smith. MU on Twitter and you can find me at HarryRobinson64 and the podcast itself at Pod. that's P-O-D at the end there thank you to Dave Shevlin and Armand Dugal for your questions thank you to the rest of our patrons for your continued support to allow us to do this and a little bit more um, and thank you to you for listening if you enjoyed the show leave us a review otherwise have a great week goodbye